This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. All right, welcome back to Transparency, everyone. I'm here with my co-host, Aaron Terrell, and our guest today is our friend, Shanid Watson. We've been, uh, we've had you on our show before, Shanid, but it was it was sort of a topic and we didn't get a chance to just talk to you and, and hear your story. So welcome back to Transparency. Thank you for having me. We, um, yeah, we, we normally when we have a guest on, it's for the purpose of just getting to know their story, which which we would love to do today, but I'd like to kind of provide some context for that as well with what's happening in the UK uh, with the closure of the, the Tavistock um, Gender Identity Service. Um, and the, I, I believe that the, the plan is to create regional centers with so to reduce wait time, so improved access to care, but also um, really changing the emphasis to um, psychotherapy and, and assessment for minors rather than, than quickly ushering them into a medical pathway. So that's part of what I'd like to explore with you today, you know, hoping that that um, change in how trans care is being done will have a ripple effect to other countries, um, including Scotland, um, and what difference that might have made for your story. But before we get to that, why don't we just talk? I'd love to just hear about your story. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, um, been on here before, and it was really great. So I'm very happy to be back. Um, this is obviously going to be a very heavy topic, but it's important because these changes are going to be far reaching. For me, you know, um, I, I've been through transition, I've been through detransition, I've been treated at a gender clinic. I've experienced firsthand what the affirmation only model does. And I'm saying that as someone who transitioned as an adult rather than a child. So the reason why JIDS at Tavistock was shut down or is going to be shut down by next spring is because they are essentially telling people who desire or think they might be trans that they are. And that's what I experienced because I wasn't a trans kid. Um, I had some gender issues as a teenager, I think as many teenagers do. I don't think that's exceptionally rare, you know. Um, and then I went to the gender clinic as an adult and I told them I wasn't a trans kid. Uh, I resented being a young woman while I was blossoming, for lack of a better word, but again, not uncommon. But instead of explore any of that with me and say, OK, you weren't a trans kid, no gender dysphoria as a kid. And then it started when you hit puberty and started to develop. At that point, they should have said, well, we need to talk about that there's obviously more there but because they were doing the gender affirmation approach instead they said what do you want to be called and i said a trans man called mr sean watson he him all the rest of it and they did that right off the bat there is no question and you know as i've spoken about in some other places i wasn't very well in my 20s you know i I had multiple breakdowns, I had multiple suicide attempts, I was on a psychiatric hospital, I was arrested multiple times, like I was nuts, you know, I really wasn't well, I was very unstable. And the Jenner Clinic knew all that, and they weren't interested in, in addressing it. All they were interested in was saying, you are Mr. Sean Watson, 
you're a trans man and that is beautiful and brave and you've got nothing to be ashamed of and we will call you whatever you want to be called and if you believe you're a man then you are a man and that was the that was my experience and so with Jids shutting down in the UK we now know from the Dr Hillary Cass review the, the full review isn't out yet, as you know, it's just the internal report. But what she has found is that a lot of these kids are turning up with comorbid conditions. A lot of them are on the autistic spectrum. A lot of them have a, abuse or trauma in their past. From the whistleblowers, we know that many of them come from homophobic families. We know that eating disorders and all, all these other things are playing into it. But when you go to a clinic that practices affirmation only, you won't get the holistic treatment that you deserve. You'll be affirmed. And if you regret it and detransition, well, fuck you. You know, your problem, not theirs. You know, it's really sending a message to people, you know, perhaps indirectly that a person can get these interventions for any reason imaginable. That there's no longer an expectation or requirement that a gender dysphoria diagnosis be made that that really anyone for any reason that shows up as long as they seem reasonably able to consent to to care they're just being passed through well that's what they're wanting to do with the gender recognition reforms in my home country is they want to completely demedicalize it they want it so that you don't even need to get a diagnosis of gender dysphoria you know and that does bring about the big question if what you have is gender dysphoria and it requires treatment, medical treatment in the form of, for example, cross-sex hormones, then how can you say it doesn't require a diagnosis? How can on the one hand you can say this isn't a mental health issue, but on the other hand say the NHS has to pay for my treatment? So there, there's a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of it doesn't make sense. It's very clear to me that there are many activists in this country who want to take as much as they can get, but they don't want to give anything. So they want to say, it's not a mental health condition, we're perfectly normal, it's innate, we're born this way, but they will ignore the complications with children, they will say that they don't need to get the medical diagnosis, and they will say that essentially, if you say that a biological male is a biological male, you should be arrested for a hate crime. That's how nuts it is here right now. I, we, we kind of talked about the what you were just uh, talking about when when we had you on for the WPATH panel, because that's what they're they're trying to do as well as obviously what, what you're saying that Scotland's going for is demedicalizing the whole um, uh, gender experience, if you will. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, how, you know, how is it, why why should the NHS cover those treatments? Why should in my country insurance providers cover those treatments um what i'm curious about is when you so you're saying that you when you were in the clinic um they were aware of your troubled like your 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 history and whatnot were they were they just kind of ignoring all that or were they attributing it to gender dysphoria because that's what i see a lot of is obviously you know any any mental health issue any you know substance abuse issue whatever it is oh it's because of the gender dysphoria we fix this then then all is well Oh no, like that's very, very good question. I should probably have clarified that. They didn't ignore it. It did come up. Like they did ask, because they had my medical file. And they'd said, you know, we can see that you were in a psychiatric unit. What was all that about? We can see that you've tried to take your own life. What was all that about? And of course, I was just saying to them, it's because I'm trans 
and I need to transition. And they were like, okay. So they didn't ignore it, but they did fully attribute all of my problems to the fact that I was trans. And so when it came to things like, well, actually, your first suicide attempt happened during a time when you weren't trans identified, but they didn't want to talk about that because that didn't fit the fact that I was there in the gender clinic to be treated as a trans man. So they, for the most part, I'd say they acknowledged everything, but they spent five minutes addressing it almost as if they had to, so they could put that in my notes. But well, there sounds, was no talk therapy. It sounds like you said the magic words of "it's because I'm trans." Yeah, and I've seen how it feels. I've seen that. I've seen that way of thinking before. Like I've made referrals to you know, let's say I've, worked, I've been working with a client. I've made a referral to another service because um, that they're psychiatrically unstable. So I've sent them to specialized psychiatric services, and the referrals have been rejected because they've said, well, well, they're, they're saying they're trans. So let's, and they haven't started their hormones yet. So let's, let's get them started on that first and just see if all these other problems magically disappear. And that seems so backwards. It's like, let's try these irreversible med medical interventions first and see if their psychiatric problems stabilize rather than stabilizing them psychiatrically and see if they still are motivated to transition at that point. Well, that's what they're wanting to do now. Now that they're shutting JIDS down, they're wanting to put it to the regional centres that are going to take a holistic approach, which is what they should have been doing the whole time, frankly. Um, so now that we are going to see that the CAS review found out that a lot of these kids did have comorbid conditions, so they're going to shut JIDS down, they're going to open these regional, well, not open them, the regional centres already exist, but they're going to put into them these uh, gender services for these young people. And, you know, if they turn up with a eating disorder, if they turn up with a self-harming problem, if they turn up with trauma, they will actually get treatment for that, which they should have been the whole time. Because what like as other Aaron mentioned earlier, you know, should the NHS be paying for this? I do think the NHS um, and insurances in other countries should cover medical transition, but the caveat is for genuine cases. You know, I don't think that the taxpayer should be paying for some confused 17-year-old who discovered she was trans two weeks ago to get on testosterone. Of course not. Of course not. But there's a big difference, as the pair of you know very well, between what used to be considered transsexual and what's now considered transgender. And I think the reason why we are seeing trans acceptance drop so dramatically in current years is because we all know. We all know that the vast majority of these kids and these teenagers are not trans. We know that. But the big problem is, you know, aside from their own words, how do you prove that? When these clinics are not giving them the appropriate therapy, when they're not exploring comorbid conditions, these kids are so convinced of it because of the social contagion aspect. In many cases, it's because most of their friends are in the exact same situation as well. How do you navigate that? It's interesting that I've heard two very different takes on the changes at the Tavistock Clinic. Like both the trans activists seem happy about it and those that are wanting reform in the system are happy about it. And, and I'm just wondering, are you seeing very different news reports over there about <laughs> what's, because I'm just curious of why is this the case that everyone is celebrating this and have a very inter different interpretation of, of what's actually happening over there? 
Well, the reason why some trans activists are celebrating is because they're saying basically the only reason why Jids got shut down was because of the appallingly long waiting times. And it really was disgustingly long. You know, these children were in a lot of distress. They were waiting years to be seen. So they're right on that. Mm -hmm. The problem is they're cherry picking. All you have to do is read the cast review. You, if you put a link to the cast review in this YouTube video, people will be able to see it for themselves. That was not the only issue that Dr. Hillary Cass brought up, but it's the one the trans activists have decided to focus on. So for me, like I've always spoken out against the waiting times. I don't think any patient for any condition should have to wait that long. I would preferably like to have these dysphoric kids seen as soon as possible. But the cast review also called out the appalling data keeping, the absolutely lack of research, the fact that they, they couldn't tell you what puberty blockers were doing to the children they were giving it to, the fact that so many members of staff felt that the clinic had become ideologically captured, that dozens of them had walked out of the clinic. And then you had the Alison Bailey trial, like, Jids was a mess. It was an absolutely appalling mess. It was mistreating these children. It was experimenting on them. But the trans activists will ignore that and say, oh, it's because they had to wait a long time. Like, no. Yeah, they're calling it, um, one of the things I've heard them say is that it's just administrative problems. Yeah. It must be comforting to think of it that way so as to ignore the fact that children were having their lives destroyed. Mm -hmm. You said I that, do feel uh, very strongly about that, by the way. I don't know if I'll say things that might come off as very harsh, but I have very, very strong opinions about childhood transition. Well, that, yeah. that's what it all boils down to, right, is, is that these are people, right? It's not just numbers. It's not just administrative decisions that there are actual children, young people going through these clinics and being harmed. I'm sure some of them will do well, right? As you said, I mean, those that are, that are receiving the treatment that that was actually designed for them they, they i'm sure they will do well but but probably not well supported either i mean that's one of the changes that i've seen in the system is that even for those that have lifelong gender dysphoria who may do well with medical interventions there's so little psychological and social support that isn't really ideologically captured and and that i think was even the case back when i transitioned i i didn't benefit from any other services that had been designed because you go to the support groups and the facilitator is is just like a peer facilitator who's sleeping with all of the the participants and they it, they're very toxic environments and and anyone that is reasonably stable going into these interventions why would i want to go into these groups where everyone is struggling so much more with mental health issues and, and you know addictions and things i wouldn't want that of a child right that that is doing that is reasonably stable they just have gender dysphoria and you're putting them in these groups with with people that are seducing them or, or getting them hooked on drugs or it's well that is one thing that you two must think about an awful lot i mean as you know trans men who are just going about your lives and getting on with things you must have felt the shift that once upon a time you were just trans men going about your life now the activists have pushed this so much into public consciousness that you can't go i don't know about you guys i can't go a fucking day without opus and you know bbc news or stv news and there's a trans story there but it's a ridiculous one it's not even like an understandable oh this is a human being it's oh 
this trans woman has forced themselves into this female-only space where there are vulnerable victims who don't want that male there. And there's a difference between, I would say, reasonable accommodation. For example, bathrooms. I'm kind of unpopular in this regard. I think trans men should use men's bathrooms. I think trans women should use the women's bathrooms on a pure point of like, come on, Aaron, if you were to walk into the women's restroom, you'd be asked to leave, right? You know, it's just, it's it's common sense. But when we get to things like sports and prisons and rape crisis centres and things like that, there needs to be some reasonability. And so you could be the most lovely, wonderful, friendly, harmless, docile trans woman in the world. You're still male. And so you shouldn't be going to a female prison. So it's things like that where you will tell me if you have seen that shift where once upon a time people were just like eh live your life live and let live I don't care to know there is more hostility isn't there there absolutely is yeah. I, I think I first noticed it about 2014 or 15 I want to say is when was when the the shift came from the like this is something that we that that like the, the the legal fiction that that some people who are distressed about their their sex live as the opposite sex and we make these reasonable accommodations as you said to around four, yeah 2014 or 15 it became this uh this thing to be very loud and vocal and celebratory about and that made me really uncomfortable um and then it was around 2017 when i realized just how uh how pervasive that all was um but yeah, I remember for, for selfish reasons, uh, being upset. I, I was uh, at university at the time and there was this art exhibit being put up that was trans bodies and it was all these like top surgery scars and whatnot, put it up in this gallery and I was mortified, like absolutely mortified <laughs> that this was an art installation. Um, but everybody else, you know, was celebrating it as, as they do. But yeah, that was my, my kind of personal anecdote when I saw, oh, something, something different is in the waters and I do not, uh, I do not care for it. It is weird though, isn't it? Because I remember back when, before I had my double mastectomy, I remember the big thing among the trans men that I knew was you wanted a surgery that made the scars as less visible as possible to right. make it look like a man's chest. Yeah. Whereas now it seems to be a lot of these younger trans men, they want the visible scars to post the picture and say, I'm a trans man and I've had the surgery. And it's like, this younger generation of trans men are so different from the trans men that I knew back in the day who were a bit older, where the same things, you know, they say stupid shit, like, I'm just going to take testosterone for a little bit to get the deeper voice and the facial hair, but then I'm going to stop before I go bald. No trans men back in the day that I knew would ever have said that, you know? A lot of it is vain and it's shallow and it's naive. It's... it's... I, I keep going back to this because I don't know how else to frame it, but it, but it, what they're doing is they're, they're appropriating transsexualism, right? And it yeah. feels so wrong to say that because they're damaging their bodies and their lives irre irre irreversibly, but, but that is what it is. It's, 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 it's like, yeah, I, I don't know how another way to, to phrase it other than appropriation, but then when you, yeah, you see these young people who are like 16, 17, trying to figure out how to get heart-shaped nipples after their top surgery, it's like, uh, this is this is uh, going to be going to be tough on the other so, side of. It's so bizarre, isn't it? Because like, I don't know, like the vast majority of trans men that I know, including yourselves, I know you're a bit more public because uh, you do transparency in the GDA and stuff like that. 
but most of them, they, they would literally shoot themselves in the foot before they outed themselves as trans, because that would go against the whole purpose of passing right. in, mm -hmm. as a man in the world. And then you've got these younger, and they're not always necessarily younger. I don't know why I keep saying that. You've got stupid adults as well. Yeah. But you know, yeah. these people these days, where as soon as they identify themselves as trans, they announce it and it's in every bio they have, they bring it up all the time. I don't know about you guys, but I don't find gender interesting. I don't find sexuality interesting. I don't care who you want to take to bed. I don't care what pronouns you want. You know, tell me what your hobbies are. Tell me what your talents are. Tell me where you've traveled. Tell me interesting stories about yourself. I don't care about your gender or sexuality. But you've got so many people now who make that their entire personality. And that's why it's so dangerous, because if you have someone young enough, vulnerable enough, naive enough, um, malleable enough, and they do make it their whole identity, even if they're not genuinely trans in the sense that they have gender dysphoria, they will go through with the full medical transition because they're right. deemed in their mind to be so important. And that mm -hmm. is dangerous, especially for kids on the autistic spectrum. And that's that's what I found in, in 2017 is people who were were clearly transitioning <clears throat> to be trans. That was the entire point. Um, and and when you're saying about like, you know, what are your what are your hobbies? Where, where are places you've traveled? I think what a lot of it is, is that they don't have rich lives apart. Yeah. Like everything happens on the Internet. And so on the Internet, everything's about identity labels uh, because you're not a whole person you're just a, a few you know flag emojis and and identity labels and so i think that's where you know it's it's people who spend their lives online and they have nothing in their real life to be excited about or celebrate it's like okay i, I i'll i'll you know um kind of collect and polish these identity labels and then like and that is my personality that's what i can can celebrate and talk about with other people who have latched onto this same uh, identity label and <clears throat> just baffling that medical providers don't seem to realize that's what's going on mm -hmm. i mean back when both of you um i know it was quite a while before i fell into it and stuff like that but when you were going through transition and stuff did you feel that you know transition was the most important thing about you and that it was the most interesting thing about you or do you think that's something that's very much a new trend i, th I think it's a new trend i think it's always been there probably aaron you've you you go back further and we're kind of more i was never really i used the internet to find the resources and to do the thing and then i just kind of didn't and i wasn't really in any support groups or anything like that so and i didn't i had a couple of trans friends but but yeah i didn't know that much about it until very recently but aaron you were kind of in the thick of it for a while yeah it's it's the scale of it i think that's changed i i do remember you know back in the early 2000s there were people that seemed to be kind of trans trenders and really wore trans as a as a badge you know like they really wanted to be visibly trans um but i'd it's say probably that mostly they, judith butler devotees right yeah it was okay. mostly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they would all probably say that they were queer right so that that definitely existed but it was it was the minority in the community at the time and and it seems like that cohort has grown and grown and grown and grown and drawn people into it which because it's a political movement a political movement would be would kind of suck as a political movement if it didn't grow right so it's oh, it's meant to that, grow that's what political mo movements do but but this is a political movement that requires body modification 
that's what's so weird about it because like um you guys actually do have a word for it i will try not to fuck it up but back in like 2011 2012 when i started going through my own stuff the first group of trans men that i became in contact with had let me see if i get it homo erotic dysphoria so you know it was a it was a group of biological females who their whole thing was they had no gender dysphoria prior to the current day but then they started reading gay erotica and gay porn and started envisioning themselves as gay men in these relationships with these gay men and they all started transitioning and I remember probably a couple of years after that I looked back on that and I was like that's a bit fucked up but we all do stuff like that when we're young one of them at least one of them I've just found out is currently in politics right now as trans man. And that was the thing that I found so crazy about it. Cause like to me back in the day, all the trans spaces that I was in, it was online. It wasn't in the mainstream media. It certainly wasn't being spoken about by fucking politicians. It wasn't impacting sport. It wasn't impacting rape crisis shelters. It was this online sort of clandestine thing that was going on. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm, I'm seeing it everywhere and it's, it, that reminds me of uh, something uh, Helena said. Like she tweeted, retweeted some uh, kind of just asinine, ridiculously hyper woke, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, something that somebody with you know a blue check mark and I don't know who it was anyway. And Helena said something like along the lines of, um, "So bizarre to see you know professional people basically saying the same things I was saying on Tumblr in, in 2013." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that's because all of the people on Tumblr in 2013 are now adults in professional <laughs> institutions <laughs> saying the same shit." <laughs> uh, like it's it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing because like I remember, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I was on Tumblr. I was on all, all those things and blah blah blah, um, and you know you would laugh at it you wouldn't take it seriously and now i'm listening to nicola fucking sturgeon of, of my home country of scotland talking about non-binary people and i'm like what what how how did we, how did we get here and then you sit and you try and have an amicable conversation with these people and they're like if someone doesn't feel male or female that means they're non-binary and i'm like what do you mean feel male or female you either are or you aren't. Like, I've got so much sympathy for trans people because I've been there and I know that transition can be beneficial. I cannot get behind the non-binary thing because when I was growing up, it was called androgyny and it didn't involve cutting your tits off and it didn't involve cutting your dick off. It involved dressing how you wanted, acting how you wanted and being yourself. The big problem, as Aaron pointed out earlier, is that this new thing involves irreversible medical treatments and that's why it's dangerous or it can be dangerous mm -hmm. the thing about the messaging too since um like you said you know Aaron, around 2015 it seems to be when it just this weird these weird things started popping up into the more public discourse and i think the problem one of the problems i have with that i mean there's many but um I mean, I was just quietly living my life as a trans man, as, as I mean, most of the trans male friends that I have, they're just quietly living their lives as men and aren't part of the trans community anymore. And I know for myself, I've negotiated that with the people around me by telling, 
uh, on an as needed basis, telling my story, being honest about, you know, I had gender dysphoria, I had this, you know, very rare intersex condition and, and this, this was the treatment for it and I've gotten moved on with it. So I have negotiated boundaries with people on an as needed basis in my life on my own terms using honesty and but the public message and with this with the queer theory framing of all of this now they're speaking on my behalf they're speaking to the whole public about this is trans this is what trans is about which isn't my story and it's not my reality but they're they're shaping what what people think of trans people um on a mass scale at the expense of, of people like me that have just been quietly living their lives and I already have a story to tell. I don't need someone making up some bullshit queer theory story on my behalf that's actually hurting people like me because people hear that queer theory stuff and they think it's stupid mm-hmm. and they reject it and they think, well, if that's what trans people are about, then this is all stupid. That is the, the worst part and it's one of the reasons why I speak about it so much because literally every single trans person I know in real life and not online they don't walk around with a fucking trans sticker on. They go to work, they take care of their kids, they do their hobbies. Like, you wouldn't even know. And even if you did, it wouldn't be shoved in your face. It's just, they're just people, you know? And now you've got all these activists. Whatever happened in 2015, I know one of the big things was that Caitlyn Jenner came out. That was one of the big things in 2015. You had other things like um, Laverne Cox um, appearing on some magazine at some point, Jazz Jennings came out. So at some point in the mid-2010s, the mainstream media was flooded with positive trans material, and then all the articles came out. You saw more and more trans YouTubers coming out and talking about how beautiful and stunning and brave transition was. Blair White came out, I think, she came out roughly around the same time I was on YouTube back then, so that would have been 2015 or 2016. And she was the outlier, where she was like the first the word wasn't used back then but gender critical trans person and the reason why she got so popular was because she was literally the only trans person back then who was visible who was speaking out against this whereas people who weren't in the trans community didn't know at the time the vast majority of trans people back then did not fall into gender ideology we did not buy this we didn't support the transitioning of children we didn't support the idea that you don't even need dysphoria to be trans but those naughty activists were so vocal and so in your face that in a very stunningly short period of time, trans people went from being a small, but you know, very much to themselves minority to now the general public are sick of them. And that's not fair on you guys. It's not fair on the vast majority of trans people and it's the activists that are essentially destroying many years of LGBT rights through everything that they've been doing. Yeah, and then people who object to it, trans people who object to it, are then called transphobic, self-hating, yada, yada. (laughs) You hate yourself, Aaron. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Going back, you said that that you kind of discovered the concept of trans on the internet. When was that? Like, what was going on in your life? And what, what about what you're seeing online appealed to you? So um, it was probably about 2011. The date I normally say when I talk about this is 2012, because I know for a fact that I was online on these forums in 2012 because I just turned 21 
and that was something that I spoke about on these forums. But I could have found them in 2011, where prior to that, I had um, I'd been kicked out of my mum's house. I'd got a bit of a drinking problem going on. I'd been assaulted. I'd gotten into a bit of trouble. I was kind of all over the fucking place at this point. And in my head, I kind of thought to myself, all of these problems are because I'm a woman. And that if I'd been born male, I'd be so much happier and people would have respected me more and I would have stuck up for myself more and all these silly things you tell yourself. You know, I don't think that way at all anymore, but that was where I was back then. And I really, really did truly believe that had I been born male, my life would have been this amazing thing. And that the reason why I hated myself so much was because I was female. I don't think that way anymore, and we can get into that later if we've got time, but yeah, at the time, 2011, 2012, I fucking hated being a woman. I really hated it. And so I used to fantasise about being a man, and I'd go back into memories, and what if I was a boy then rather than a girl? What if I was a man then rather than, you know, what if I'd been my ex-girlfriend's boyfriend rather than her girlfriend? And just convinced myself that everything would have been so much better and it became an obsession it became I was I couldn't think about anything else so I started googling because I recognized it was a problem it's like this is not a normal train of thought so I started googling you know I wish I was a man or I fantasize about being a man or I I googled penis envy that's what I thought it was <laughs> I was like is that Freud <laughs> <laughs> And I googled all this stuff, but rather than finding like forums for psychiatric help, rather than finding counselling groups, rather than finding groups of women similar to me who were trying to work through it, I found trans material. And so I found so many YouTube videos and blogs and forums on places like Susan's Place, um, where it was just all these guys who were my age and we're saying, you know, I was born female and I felt this way about myself. And then I transitioned and I felt so much better. Or I hate being a woman and I hate having boobs. And as soon as I got them cut off, I felt so much more comfortable in my body. And, you know, I just, I became obsessed. If I wasn't at work or I wasn't at college, I was fixated into these websites and done nothing else, completely self-isolated, didn't go out with friends or anything like that. I obsessed over this material. And so within a very quick period of time, you know, I'm talking less than a year, I went from being someone who had never heard of the word trans before. I didn't know what transgender was, never heard of gender dysphoria. I didn't even know that you could inject hormones to get secondary sex characteristics of the opposite sex. And within a year, less than a year, sorry, I went from that to, I am a trans man. I need the cross-sex hormones. I need the double mastectomy. I need the hysterectomy and I need the phalloplasty and I need them now, or I'm going to kill myself. That was how extreme my, my thought pattern went. And because here in Scotland, I don't know about you guys, but we don't need a letter from our doctors. You can self-refer. And so I just called up the gender clinic in Glasgow and said, put me on your waiting list I want to transition and they said okay and put me on their list and the rest is history you were like 22 years old at the time when I self-referred I was 23 
Okay. Um, so by that point, yeah, a, a couple of years, I, I would say between the age of about 20 till about 23 was when the obsession really, really blew. And I came out to friends and family. I socially transitioned, I binded. And then the self-referral was at 23 and the medical transition started at 24. What I hope will change is earlier intervention. Like if, if professionals who kind of understand who were mental health savvy had intervened while you were struggling, but hadn't landed on, I want hormones yet, right? You were just, you were just struggling as a person, you were distressed. If someone had intervened at that point to help you sort it out, right? Because I think that's most young people are showing up to clinics saying, I want hormones. And that's what the clinics are offering. I wonder what I wonder what will change as the clinics when the clinics become a place where young people go to get counseling for these things. I wonder how that will change people's expectations or or the timing of when they go and seek help. Yeah, I mean that is one of the scariest parts, isn't it? Because I can say almost without a shadow of a doubt that had we been having this conversation and say. 2015 just before I started the hormones but while I was right into it and you both sat me down and very reasonably tried to speak to me I would have said fuck off give me the hormones mm -hmm. you know there was so little you could have done but there was absolutely a point I would say between 2011 and 2012 where I could have been reached and I actually did go to get help you know um I, I'd been self-harming so my family got me to go and see my GP he put me on an antidepressant called fluxetine. I had a really bad reaction to it, so I came off it. And that's when I turned to alcohol and, and developed the alcohol problem. And rather than go back to therapy or try any other kind of medication or antidepressant, I thought, I'm just gonna drink myself to death. And then when I did come to the opinion that I wanted to transition, I think at that point back in 2012, I could have been reached. But no one tried. And so the further and the further and the further that I went into it, there absolutely was a point, I'm sorry to say, especially because I know there's probably going to be parents with gender confused children listening to this. And this is not what you want to hear. But you certainly can get to a point where you're so far gone that you won't listen to reason. You convince yourself that you need this treatment and no amount of reasonable talk therapy is going to stop you. Yeah, and at that, at that point, I think if, if people are attributing all of their distress and attaching that to a single solution, which is the medical solution, I, I can imagine at that point, it would feel if anyone tried to slow that down, it would probably feel uncaring and invalidating. It's like, why would you want to prevent me from accessing this thing that I, I know in my mind is going to make me feel better? The problem yeah, is exactly. we don't always know. Because like you guys know yourself, right, that when, when you go through transition and it's actually beneficial to you, like it doesn't solve all your problems. It, it manages the gender dysphoria. But, you know, sometimes you're still going to feel a bit shitty and sometimes you're going to be a bit angry and sometimes you're going to stress about this or work or your relationship. or what. It doesn't magically make you feel like a million quid. You know, you're still a human being. You're still going to struggle with stuff. Whereas with a lot of these these kids that are getting wrapped in, in this they think that when they transition they're going to feel amazing all the time 
And it's like, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but being miserable every now and again is part of being human. Sometimes you are going to be sad. Sometimes you are going to be stressed out. Sometimes you are going to feel self-conscious. Sometimes you are going to feel lonely. You know, that's just a part of being human. And if you're struggling with all these things and you have convinced yourself that injecting testosterone or swallowing some estrogen pills is going to change that, then you have been horribly misled. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really a pyramid scheme is how is how you know can't help but see it like that it's like one person gets gets convinced that's the right thing and then you know proselytizes and and on it spreads through the internet sorry go on Aaron um it's okay I've lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like how are you guys feeling you know in general because a, lo a lot has happened you know you've got Jeds at the Tavistock shutting down Stonewell's credibilities basically went to shit. You've got Canada now talking about wanting to reform policies on gender. I mean, how are you guys feeling as trans men watching all this unfold? Personally, I feel very positive about it. It's a long time coming. Um, I, I think it was around 2019 is when I got, I came to the opinion that, 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 that medicalizing gender in general is going to have been a, a net loss for humanity um so so my my feeling has been for a long time is like the sooner you know the sooner we take it down whatever that looks like uh, is going to be uh, better than we are currently or certainly better than we are were a year ago um that's my my feeling on it i definitely want the changes to happen sooner rather than later i mean for for two reasons i mean one just to you know, for the for the kids who would be harmed by by what we're doing now, but but also because as you we were saying earlier, I mean, more and more and more hostility is building, and I would rather correct these problems now than let that hostility continue to escalate. Because I I do worry about the safety of myself and and trans people in general if the if it, this isn't checked and. The, you know, the really extreme activists continue to have the platform and drive us all right off a cliff. I mean, that is a thing, isn't it? Because, you know, don't get me wrong, there, there's some times when I get dogpiled by trans activists and I get a bit fucking angry and sometimes I speak very harshly, but I would never ever say that trans care should be removed. And I've never said that. And then when very prominent trans activists with uh, a following three times the size of me says Sinead Watson wants trans care banned. It fucking pisses me off. And sometimes I, I lash out and I'm like, these fucking assholes, you know. But then I remember that this is why we need to be careful about that, because these trans activists do not represent most trans people. I know you and other Aaron are very fortunate in that you passed so that you would be able to move about life where people are just going to see you as dudes, right? They're not going to see you as trans men. What about the, the younger trans people who don't pass? And what risk are we putting on them? Because if we constantly have, if we're bombarding the general public with information that the LGBTQ community is full of groomers, is full of all these people that are talking about trans toddlers, they're going to become hostile to them. And so I don't want young trans men and young trans women being targeted because of the careless selfish, just baffling behavior of these activists who, as far as I can see, they don't actually give a shit about trans people. Have, have you also noticed that they do tend to be 
male to female transitioners who do not pass. I wonder if that's part of the uh, part of their their mo or, or what motivates them is is you know they 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 can't pass they won't pass. Um, I wonder if that has something to do with uh, how they how they discuss these issues and how uh, vitriolic they are. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, I've got quite a bit of sympathy and empathy for them because for sure. you know, not all of us have money. So if you've got someone like Caitlyn Jenner who can pour, I don't even know how much, but at least hundreds of thousands of dollars into surgeries and treatments that well, you know, Caitlyn Jenner looks like a woman. Doesn't sound like one, but if you were just looking at a picture of her, you'd think, oh, that's a woman, you know? And a lot of younger trans women Really, and especially like if they happen to be tall, if they happen to be broad of shoulder, if they happen to have lost their hair, if they just generally happen to be very masculine, to think that they're ever going to pass is pushing it. But if they spend enough time online, they'll convince themselves that they will pass. And if they happen to be attracted to females and they convince themselves that they'll transition and get themselves a hot goth lesbian girlfriend, you know, and then they go on all these lesbian forums and the lesbians tell them to, to fuck off. Like, that doesn't feel nice. That doesn't feel nice. But at the end of the day, it's because this individual has been misled yeah. by the community that claims to care for them. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I don't believe in an outright ban of of trans health care or, or coverage like public funding or health insurance, because I don't want this to be those with money and, and the ability to pay for surgeries and these procedures have a better life than, than working class people who can't afford that. I mean, and especially when one of the predictors of um, the persistence of gender dysphoria is being of a lower social, social economic status um, that's been in the literature. I think it was one of Zucker's papers that said that. Um, so it, it's, I, I don't like uh, multi-tiered systems of care where, where people, where, you know, the wealthiest people get access to things that poor people can't. Like I, my personal opinion is that as long as the treatment is proper, and that's what we're, we're hoping to happen here in the UK with JITS being shut down, if we're going to do a holistic approach, so you have an individual patient come to you, they have depression and eating disorder and gender dysphoria. You treat the depression, you treat the eating disorder, you keep them in counseling for a couple of years, the gender dysphoria persists and is consistent and is long lasting. And even though the other issues have been solved, this individual still suffers from gender dysphoria and wants to transition. I would have no problem with the NHS covering that treatment because I think that it would genuinely benefit them. But when we're talking about 19, 20 year old kids going to these clinics and within a year, despite their unaddressed issues, they're on cross sex hormones. No, I wouldn't pay for that. You said something earlier that, because we were talking earlier about the activists and how the, some of the trans activists seem to have a very different interpretation of what's happening at Tavistock than, than we do. And something you said earlier sort of put an idea in my head about that, 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 that it seems like trans culture is very paranoid. Like there's a lot of messaging within the trans community of you can't trust cis people, you can't trust doctors, you can't trust counselors, right? Unless they're, unless they're trans, don't trust them because we can only trust other trans people. And so as soon as you say something that is the least bit counter to what the trans activists are saying 
they have this very paranoid reaction of, well, you're only saying that because you're a Nazi who wants us all to be exterminated, or you're only saying that because you have this other motive and you really want to shut it all down. And so the fact that the Tavistock decision means regional centers in which people are actually going to benefit from being able to access care faster. And, and so because it hasn't just all been scrapped and shut down, they were probably thinking that's what we were all looking for, right? They probably, in their minds, they had this big ca catastrophe in their mind about what all of this was going to amount to and look like. And it hasn't all been shut down. It's just being redesigned and reformed with improvements. So I wonder if that's maybe what they're celebrating is a haha, you didn't win because they were projecting onto us what they thought a win on our side would look like. That's exactly it. They have convinced themselves that we're all a bunch of evil terrorists who want to completely ban trans healthcare. Whereas the reality is ever, ever since the very day that I started speaking out, I've always said, I know transition is beneficial for many trans people. I do think they should have access to their hormones and their surgeries. And in the cases where it's a genuine case, I think it should be paid for by the NHS. I have always said that. But the problem was that's not evil enough for them to justify the way they treat us. And so they had to constantly come out and say, the TERFs want to ban trans healthcare. They want to ban treatment for trans youth. They want trans youth to kill themselves. They want trans people to be genocided. That's just ridiculous. Look, I, there are some genuinely nasty, quote, gender critical people that I do not like and who I genuinely would class as transphobic. But from what I've seen, they're few and far between. The vast majority of them genuinely are just really concerned about safeguarding. And so when the news came out that JIDS was shutting down and was going to be uh, given the more holistic approach, we all celebrated because we don't want gender clinics shut down. We want them improved. But that doesn't line up with the evil picture that the activists are trying to paint all of us. Mm -hmm. Which is, is fine. I mean, if we if we get to redesign the system and reform it and have all these, you know, advance all these changes we want and they celebrate it as their win, I'm okay. Everybody with that. wins. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what what do you think will be the next big thing? Because like we've had a lot happening here in the UK, you know, like it wasn't even just Jids. We've had uh, Dr. Weberly made a complete cunt of herself and got signed off. We've had Alison Bailey. We've had Maya Forstatter. We've had Jids shut down. My my clinic, Sandyford's currently under fire. Um, Stonewall's made an ass of itself and mermaids look like it's going to follow. Like, what do you think is the next big thing that's coming? I hope the big institutions pushing the ideology will fall. Mm -hmm. I mean, that seems like the logical next step to me is if we've determined that these ideologues have distorted the truth and that's where healthcare system got so distorted and, and unsafe. I hope that there's a silencing of those ideologues in the first place, like, you know, like, so organizations like Stonewall um, or other, you know, uh, uh, we don't have Stonewall here, but institutions like that, that are pushing this agenda. I think we're seeing crumble that people don't trust what they have to say once, you know, that it's like the wizard of Oz and the curtain's been drawn. We see that he's just a frail old man behind the curtain, right. That are just pulling all these levers and, and, and creating this illusion. I think that's the next thing that's going to collapse. 
I hope. <laughs> you hope that's all you can do, right? I mean, I don't know. I've, I've got some predictions about what's going to happen in the UK, but like as a unique sort of situation for me, of the detransitioners that I speak to, most of them are from America and Canada. You know, not most of them aren't from the UK. And so all these changes are happening in the UK, which is grand, but you know, then I think of the detransitioners that I've spoken to from the US and Canada, and no offense to you guys, but it's fucking nuts over there. Like, what are you doing? You know, I just saw that idiot Rachel Levine, you know, commenting earlier today before I came on to speak to you. Like, is, is there anything happening in America or Canada right now that seems to be giving hope to what's happening there? Other than people speaking, starting to speak out in Canada, nothing's nothing started to shift here. But you know, we're we're really behind what's happened in the UK. But um, what my understanding of what's happening in the United States, you know, of course, the federal government is pushing trans affirmative care and trans everything. But the individual states that see what the problem is, and, and you know, when politics become involved, it becomes it becomes a right versus left issue. And I don't like that that's happening. But it's my understanding that in what I've been, how it's been explained to me is that in the United States, they don't have the option of doing a judicial review, they don't have that built into their system. And so what they're what the individual states are trying to do is pass sometimes these very heavy handed laws, knowing that that will be challenged legally. And it'll eventually be pushed all the way up to the Supreme Court, where they'll have a chance to actually review the evidence. And that will be the equivalent of a judicial review of the evidence. In the lower courts, so in the state courts, um, the lawyers on the trans activist side are really trying to argue it on the basis of law and ideology. And they're trying really hard to keep the medical evidence out of those court cases but the hope is that once it's actually pushed to the supreme court because it'll be appealed and and be eventually pushed to the supreme court the hope is that that's where the evidence can actually be presented and there'll be a ruling based on the medical evidence yeah the problem here too is we're just such such a wild west when it comes to uh health and and record keeping certainly with the with everything trans related um I, i'm just curious what that's going to look like because we don't have centralized health care uh, like, like you both do in, in your countries and it's everything sort of, and it's not, I mean, there are obviously, um, you know, medical organizations that, uh, you know, that kind of, you know, guide decision makings on, in, you know, local healthcare basis. But I mean, we're talking like the APA uh, uh, or the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they're completely captured by this. So like, I, I just wonder what it's going to look like uh, uh, healthcare-wise, when when evidence is needed on a judicial uh, in a judicial context, what that's going to look like? Because like, Planned Parenthood is not keeping. I mean, they're not following up with anybody. They're they're just handing out hormones to anybody who shows up over the age of eighteen. And like, uh, you know, you can get you know uh, you know mastectomies without without any um, you know uh, counseling necessary. It's just like I. And then, yeah, no, nobody follows up with anybody. Any, there's no, there's no holistic system of trans care. Like I know, Sinead, it's it's pretty like the the Tavistock, and, and we, that's all crumbling over there. But you guys actually did a much better job of this than we have over here. And so it's like I don't even like 
yeah, we just don't have the yeah have the have the bodies in place to to do the kind of reviews that uh, that you do over over there, where things are much more, you know, even in this context, holistically handled. I think a large part of it as well would also be that, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I've only been to America once, and it was when I was quite young. So, I would um, one of the stereotypes that I get about about America is that you're very sort of media driven and there's a lot of information and you've got all these news channels that say all these different you know things whereas you know and we do we absolutely have that here but i feel that we're not as bombarded quite as much as you guys are with the positive trans is beautiful trans women are women trans men are men type of thing whereas over here you know I don't know, a lot of the, and it has primarily been women, there has been a lot of men as well, but primarily women who saw some news story on a, a British morning TV show that said trans women are women, and these women have said, are they? And went away and done a bit of reading and then said, no, they're not, and then went to a protest and invited all their friends. <laughs> like, a, a lot more quick to mobilise here, I would say. I definitely agree with that. And also you guys aren't as politically polarized as we are. And so it's like, it's safe to, despite the, you know, the, the, the veracity of the trans activists, even there as well, it's still like, you guys are still grounded in reality in a way that in North America, we don't seem to be. Um, in, in the US, it's no longer like Republicans versus Democrats, like it always used to be. And there was sort of a middle ground that was, you know, I mean, it, that, that could be found. The, the polarization is, is so extreme now that you've basically got the woke on one side and the ultra MAGA on the other side. That's kind of what's dominating the airwaves. Um, and it's just such, neither of which are grounded in any semblance of reality. And it's all emotionally driven. And, um, you know, obviously on, on this side, this this debate is is polarized as well where you've got you know there's no such thing as biological sex and then oh they're trying to groom your kids you know it's like it's there's no nobody's coming at this from a reasonable place uh on, on this side of the pond is yeah. what it looks like and canada's very influenced by american media because we're, we're just we're, we're your closest neighbor so most of our we have a couple of canadian um um newspapers and tv stations but the rest of our media input is american so we're not as polarized as Americans, but we're certainly becoming influenced and becoming more polarized because of the influence of American media. So Drinking the same even, water. Even over here, we, we get American media pumped in over here because of the internet now. And I sit and I listen to some of the, the channels and it's like, if you like Trump, you're a devil. If you hate Trump, you're a devil. And then Clinton and Biden and like the way that people will say that they will cut friends and family out of their life for voting differently from them is mm-hmm. nuts. Like that is mm-hmm. weird to me. Like I, I have friends and family that voted no to Scottish independence. I voted yes, but I still love them. Never cut them out of my life for having a different political opinion from me. So yeah, it's like American political, I don't know what we, fervor is really weird to me. I think a lot of it too is we used to be a very religious country, like like deeply religious and 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 often fundamentally uh, religious, and and a lot of that's gone away. A lot of people have left, you know, the religions they were born into, and 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 that kind of um, the, the sort of the, the sense of group and tribalism and and deeply held values and that 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 impulse has to go somewhere. And I think it's gone into like niche political. 
uh, affiliations. Uh, I think that's what's going on. Whereas you guys have always been a lot less um, religious, a lot less fundamental, a lot more, as I keep saying, like grounded in physical reality. And it's always been more of a class, like more like in, in the UK and correct me if I'm wrong, you're very class aware and very, and that's very, that's grounded in very tangible real life um, you know, economics and, and generations of experience and whatnot. And, and so you guys have a much, yeah, generally you just seem more, much more grounded in physical reality and what is, is and is and is not true and is and is not relevant. Whereas here we're quite kind of woo, I guess is the best way to say it. And we kind of, <laughs> we kind of really like all those things that tell us we're, um, uh, you know, not just another, you know, mammal. Yeah. You go into the darkness, Sinead. I know I was hoping that you wouldn't notice me relocating there because the other half has just got home. So I'm oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this I mean, all happened there. If, if it's not like too personal, like one of the things that constantly pops up for me when I talk to the, the detransitioners and stuff is one of the big crises that hits them when they decide to detransition is they think that they're never going to find love. No one's ever going to want them. Um, what man is going to want a woman who's cut her tits off? What woman is going to want a man that's grew boobs, blah, blah, blah. And I get where they're coming from, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I really do think that there's someone for everyone or there's a type of people for every other type of person, you know? And I mean, come on, if, if I can find someone, then these young 20-year-old women who've had mastectomies can find someone as well. And I was just wondering, you know, as people who've went through the full transition and passed completely as men, was that a concern for you that you wouldn't find someone or did you already have your partners? Well, I, I was, yeah, I was single at the time and I was very happy with the idea of continuing to be single. Like I didn't, um, yeah, I didn't, at the time I was, I was heterosexual and I was not interested. I knew that gay men wouldn't want me and I didn't, and I wasn't like, I wasn't really interested in having a, a relationship. I enjoy like, and I was, I was single for like six years until, uh, uh, well, no, I had a girlfriend for like six short time but anyway i was happy being single single for a, for a long time but it wasn't something that and i made that conscious decision i was like i i went into this kind of thinking this will make me unappealing sexually to to anyone and it was how i was kind of thinking it and i made that decision with that in mind that wasn't obviously the case um but that's kind of i went into it with that frame of mind which i think is kind of unhealthy on one hand but also quite healthy on another it's like you know like imagine the worst case scenario and if you're cool with the way it also didn't seem like that big of a sacrifice for me either I was so so deeply uncomfortable in my body that it was like I don't care you know like this and it, and it worked it relieved that discomfort and I was also able to have you know happy uh relationships so so it worked out yeah isn't that the thing where realistically you know that transitioning will shorten your dating pool yeah, purely because yeah. you know, for example, um, you said you were heterosexual, so yeah, you knew that when you transitioned, that there were going to be men that weren't into a female who looked like a man, right? But at the right. same time, there's lots of people who you know, you're a very handsome man, Aaron. I don't mind telling you that. Oh, thank so, you. Like, well, a handsome trans man, in case people come after me for that, but you know, <laughs> I mean, like, 
of, of course you'd be able to find somebody and I think that idea that yeah it shortens your dating pool and it's gonna some people that otherwise would have considered you will no longer consider you but this idea that when you transition or detransition you may have to die alone I really don't like that right. and I don't like that mentality especially among younger trans and detrans people where you know they're 21 years old they don't know fucking anything and they're like I'll just live the rest of my life by myself because no one will ever love me and I'm like we need to do something about that narrative because it's yeah. gonna royally fuck a generation up yeah that's so true and what does it say about you know disability in general i mean people yeah. that are born without a limb or you know some some disability or, or people that i don't know end up with uh with cancer and end up with like a colostomy bag or something i mean they they go through often with go through periods of feeling like i'm unattractive no one's ever gonna love me and i mean i, I would say that at some point, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's at some point, most of us have something about us, you know, as we age and, and develop different conditions or illnesses of, of some kind, it's not uncommon for people to be different, right? And have different bodies. But even then when someone may even on first glance appear perfectly normal and healthy, and then you get to know them, it turns out actually they have a condition that you can't tell, you know, because my, my ex-girlfriend had uh, ME, which physically she looked perfectly normal, but she would get really, really severe bouts where she was just incapacitated and she couldn't get up and, and go out and do things. That didn't make me love her any less, you know? And so I think where if you, you're so convinced that you need to be a model to find love, that is a problem and it is largely guided by the internet where, as you've all heard so many times before, people don't post normal pictures of themselves anymore. It's all filtered and, you know, it all look, it's a lie. You know, I, I think freckles are lovely. I happen to find wrinkles very attractive on a man. You know, I, there's lots of these little imperfections that people are f not forced, but force themselves to hide up. And I think for a lot of trans and detrans people, um, a big one would be for trans women, they, they get really self-conscious about their height. Whereas there's lots of guys out there and lots of lesbians out there that love tall people, you know? And for D-trans women, they get really self-conscious about the not having boobs anymore. It's like, there's plenty of people out there that prefer a flat chest, you know? So you really need to stop thinking that you need to be this ideal to find happiness because it's not good for you and it's not good for the people that are going to be swallowing this narrative. Good point. Absolutely. I'll say something encouraging at some point during this conversation, but I don't know what. So I hope. <laughs> no, that was great, and I think I think like you being obviously uh, very visible and vocal, like you're you're in a relationship, you know, you know, very happy relationship. Like Grace, right? She's with the same same man through her transition, and now they're married. And I think that's like having having people like yourselves, you know, just talking about your relationships and your lives after transition is very is, is going to be very helpful to people who are, you know, grappling with that decision and what it'll look like for them on the other side. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of a little bit different from Grace, I think, because I'm pretty sure Grace met her husband, now husband, congratulations, Grace, um, while she just before transition. Whereas I met my boyfriend as a trans man and I thought he thought of himself as a gay man. 
And then when we reconnected after detransition, I was like, he's not going to be interested in me. Then it turns out he's a filthy bisexual, so it didn't matter anyway. <laughs> but it's like one of those things where I was like, do I need to get reconstruction? Um, do I need to wear makeup? Do I need to wear a wig to hide my wee baldy bit? You know, all these things. And I was so self-conscious, but you know what? I did not have to be. Because when I brought all this up to him one night after a few too many bottles of wine, he was like, I wouldn't have started dating you if I had a problem with the way you are now. You don't have to change yourself at all, at all. Like, it doesn't bother me. And I think you'll find that there are shallow people out there. There are vain people out there. Obviously, there's going to be gay men who aren't going to date a trans man. There's going to be lesbians who won't date a trans woman. But ultimately, there's going to be someone out there for everyone. And you might say that's so cliche. It's so silly. But the vast majority of the trans and detrans people that I know are in happy, healthy relationships. So it really isn't as bad as some because you know what it's like when you get in your mind like that because Aaron um, I was very similar to you in that when I was going through a transition I was like I don't mind never being with anyone because I, I didn't until testosterone I didn't have a sex drive anyway so I was like I don't care if no one's ever going to want me and then testosterone plummeted my libido through the roof and I was like oh my god no one's ever going <laughs> to want me and then I, I found the love of my life and it worked out, you know? So it's sometimes life is shit and it tips you down and you think a lot of really nasty things about yourself. But ultimately, I think when you get on in life and you're not some lost teenager, you meet enough people and you experience enough personalities where you realize that literally anything is possible. You know, I really, really do think that. And maybe people think that sounds naive, but I'm telling you right now, like, if I can find someone, fucking anyone can. Anyone can. So I, I would say that to the young, because on the D-Trans subreddit, a really popular post that comes up is, um, no one's ever going to want me because of X. No one's ever going to want me because of Y. A big one is when they get the hysterectomy, what man's going to want a woman that can't give them children? And it's like, <laughs> I know so many men who don't want babies, you know? <laughs> So there, there really, really is an opportunity for you out there. So don't get lost in that despair because it's not worth it. Think of how many people I've met in the past who have these very unique sort of personality quirks that they seem like they're a one in a million, right? They just have these characteristics or interests that are just seem so unique to them. But even them are often in, in relationships and it's like, how did you find the one other, is it the one other person in the world that has this unique you know, personality quirk and they, they're in long, the ones I'm thinking of are in long-term relationships. So it definitely happens. What would you say to, you know, younger trans men right now who have been battered over the head with this idea that, you know, for example, uh, trans men are real men and so if a gay man says no to you that means that they're a bigot or things like um you know just hitting them over the head with queer theory and putting all these ideas into their head because it's easy to go with that type of thing when you're just online but then when you go out into the real world things are going to change right and so there's going to be a lot of young trans men who have been inculcated with this idea online and they're going to go out into the real world and a lot of those experiences are going to be a bit of a wake-up call uh what would you sort of say to them and how to navigate that type of thing 
my my only advice is uh, get offline and get out into the real world as soon as possible. Yeah. That's, that's that's about it, you know. And process that disappointment and that confusion privately, because it, it really doesn't help matters if someone rejects you know you and says, oh, "Sorry, I don't want to date you," regardless of their reasons and regardless of whether you think those reasons are valid and, and reasonable or not. Um, when has it ever happened that if you have a meltdown and start calling someone a bigot that that's the thing it's like oh well you're right i'm i'll date you after all like it it's <laughs> and that, that, that and that tends to be the 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 transactivist response right is this public outcry that oh these people are bigots they won't date me and it just looks that doesn't feel good for anyone on the on the receiving end like if someone hit if someone hit on you in a bar and you said no sorry i'm not interested and they had a meltdown and started screaming at you that you're a bigot it doesn't endure you to that person (laughs) (laughs) like i i do have a memory of um before i transitioned i used to go to a bar in glasgow called the polo lounge it's a big gay club and there was a a very lovely looking young lady there who was dressed up like uh, Audrey Hepburn. And so uh, I, I quite like Audrey Hepburn. So I went up to her and I was like, can I buy you a drink? And she was like, she looked me up and down and she was like, I don't think so. And she walked away from me. So I went back to my table with my friends and like pity drank the whole night, like, oh my God, I'm so ugly. But then it was like, what would I have wanted her to say? Like, you're not my type and I'm not interested, but I'll force myself to be with you to make you feel better. Like, I wouldn't want that either. Like, why would you want someone to be intimate with you against their will? Why? Yeah. And- I don't think they think that far ahead, really. I think, I think so much of it is all just bred online. They spend all this time, like you said, inculcated in these communities that tell them, you know, trans is beautiful. It's awesome. And, you know, people who don't feel that way are transphobic. Um, but don't worry, you know, you're part of this queer family. And so, so again, a lot of them are, of course, heterosexual relative to their, to their natal sex. And then they, then they try to pick up, you know, people who are gay or lesbian that they consider to be part of their queer family you know it's like that's the narrative that's and then and then so then the response is oh my god gay men are so transphobic lesbians are so transphobic you know how could this be let's cleanse them from our ranks it's just such a weird uh, dynamic that goes on in the lgbt yeah i mean I, d- I don't know where either of you stand on the lgb without the t type of thing i actually used to be opposed to it um, I, I didn't agree with it, but then I found out about what, you know, what they call the cotton ceiling and all that. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but I mean, it does hurt because, you know, having, having been trans myself for several years, I do have a lot of very close personal friends who are trans, not activists, just normal fucking people. And so whenever I get a bit drunk and a bit angry and I'm like, you know, LGB without the T and trans women are not women and it's important that we know this. And then I wake up the next day and I'm like, I know my trans friends aren't going to be pissed off with me because they're on the same boat. But at the same time, like, I don't know if my friends were constantly posting about D-trans people in a negative light, even if they weren't posting about me, it would affect me, you know? I don't know if that makes much sense. I've tried to think of a, a proper way to word this because... For example, I know when I'm talking about trans activists, I'm not talking about you two. I'm not talking about my friends. I'm not talking about 
you know, the Buck Angels or anything like that, because for lack of a better term, you're all pretty critical of gender ideology, but you're still trans people. And so when you're constantly seeing stories and articles and Twitter feeds and all the rest of it, criticizing the trans movement, whatever the fuck that is anymore, I mean, it must sting even just a little bit. It, it doesn't to, to me. Um, what, what stings is the behavior of people who are claiming to be trans and claiming to be advocating for uh, for trans people. And they're obviously doing us a terrible uh, disservice. But no, I'm, I'm fully on board. Team drop the T. Um, absolutely. And and I, like so for the, the your friends in, in your in, that, you know, in real life who are who are, you know, uh, on the other side of those tirades is like when I see your Twitter threads basically doing the same thing. I certainly don't take it personally. I'm like, yes, yes, <laughs> right, right. You know, so like I don't I yeah, I, I don't see them being too um, because, again, you like I know you're not talking about me. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, and I completely agree with you. So I don't. Um, yeah, and I, I can't imagine they would feel feel otherwise, but obviously I can't I can't speak for them. That that's the problem with having trans friends who really don't like talking about politics or they're not on Twitter, they're not online, yeah. they don't know yeah. all this. And so you yeah. know, if I say something like um affirmative treatment is child abuse, and they're like, What? And I'm <laughs> talking about blind right. affirmation, and they're like, Oh, right, right, okay, you know, like they're they're not shush. Uh, they're not in the know. Sorry, my budgies have just woke up. Um, whereas, you know, and I think that's why right. most yeah. people do get hostile is they don't know entirely what we're talking about. When, for example, we say a trans woman who has transitioned for less than a year should not be competing in women's sports. And for most people who don't know that actually even if they they went in transition for a good couple of years, they still have that advantage because they've been fed the belief that trans women are women. So there is no advantage. And so as far as they're concerned, that's just bigotry. And it's like, actually, no, when you look at the science, because they went through a male puberty, they have an unfair advantage, which is why they should not compete. That's not bigotry. That's protecting the fairness and dignity of women's sports. Mm -hmm. So it really depends how much knowledge a certain individual has with how defensive and angry they're going to get at what you say. Yeah, and a lot of the lines that people throw out, like when people say, well, men don't belong in women's sports. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's breaking, it's breaking the social, it's breaking the, the, the terms of our legal contract, right? Because up until this point, most people were using preferred pronouns. And, and so I interpret that as just trying to break through the ideological wall with coming up with these one-liners, you know, because I mean, I guess it could just be as easily said, trans women don't belong in women's sports if they've been through a male puberty, but it just, I think people resort to, well, men don't belong in women's sports. It, it just, because it's very clear. And, and I, but I think a lot of trans people don't understand they don't understand that the vast majority of what's being said is just is actually anti-ideology. It's not really anti-trans person. Exactly. And that's kind of everything that I base, everything that I speak on. It's not about trans people. It's about the ideology, because in my experience, the vast majority of the people pushing this aren't even trans themselves. They're allies. Mm -hmm. You know, they're these people who they're like, uh, trans women are women, trans men are men, 
lesbians who don't suck trans women's dicks are bigoted and then you go to their profile and they've got cis in there and i'm like what you know what why and then the people like dr jack turban you know people like that who throw themselves out there some kind of beacon of knowledge that is a, a titan of protecting trans people and it's like jack turban would sooner block a trans person like debbie hayton than listen to genuine concerns and so I don't have any fucking time or patience for these non-trans allies that would throw actual trans people under the bus to the detriment of the reputation and potential safety of actual trans people. Like, it really fucking pisses me off. Bizarre. Yeah, he blocked me for, Turban blocked me for asking what gender dysphoria was. he blocked me for writing that letter to him which he still by the way um and who else was i blocked by recently i've been blocked by owen jones i've been blocked by uh rachel levine and i've been blocked by what was the other one the research paper he done some stupid ridiculous fucking paper (laughs) and then i posted in response with something that dr robert dimaggio had done disproving the whole thing and, and he blocked me um so it's things like that where how confident can you be in your belief system if you yeah minimum effort to defend it because i don't know about you guys but when i'm challenged you know unless it's an obvious troll i make a point of defending myself yeah yeah but they can't they know they can't so they just block Or, or another thing is like if they if they say the wrong word in defense of their previous statement you know they they run the risk of of getting you know smeared by their own side because it's just yeah they have to carefully tailor each word and each tweet so when you uh when you get gotta gotta speak about it in in new words off on the fly it's like oh that's scary block i think that could be a lot of it as well once upon a time they could get away with that type of thing because what they're defending wasn't so absurd but now, you know, there's several trans accounts who hate follow me, who have followings two, three, four times the size of what I have. And I've watched them grow and they've went from being really, I still disagreed with them, but reasonable enough in that they didn't die, deny biological reality. These same accounts now, two and a half years later, are saying that trans women are literally female. And I'm like, OK, that's a hell of a claim to make. If you were simply saying that, you know what, trans women are male, but through social, legal and medical transition, they can live such a life that they can experience misogyny. I think they can. That's one of the things I disagree with radical feminists on. I I believe that passing trans women absolutely do experience misogyny. But to take it so far and say that you inject testosterone into a biological female for a couple of months and you magically transform her into a male, no. Like that's taking it too far. And I think they say it because they feel like they have to say it. I, I think that's, you know, what is that that condition where, uh, I'm not, not sure what the word is I'm after, but it's essentially like each individual knows it's nonsense, but they have to say it because all the other people on their side who also silently know it's nonsense will cancel them if they say, like it's like the, the, the silencing spiral or something along those lines. Um, yeah, it's like... Everybody's I always just to... think, of, think of it as like the emperor has no clothes. Right, right. We all see it for exactly what it is. Like, 
if I can sit and have a conversation with two trans men and say, you can't change sex, then there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to have that same conversation with a bunch of non-trans activists without them losing their fucking heads and saying, I'm trying to murder trans children. Like, I've literally had that. <laughs> but the, the, the emperor has no clothes that John Stewart, before he went, you know, sadly, <laughs> sadly woke. I'm so sad that we lost uh, John Stewart. But uh, before that happened, he was on um, the uh, podcast. Um, uh, what is it called? Smartless. Um, and he was basically saying what we have today is that the, the, the emperor got the emperor has no clothes situation. But instead of when the little boy says, oh, he's naked, everybody goes, oh, my God, you're right. Ha ha ha. Everybody goes, get him out of here. And the, and the little boy is <laughs> evicted from the parade. Like that's that's what we do now. It's so accurate. <laughs> that's funny. Isn't it one of those things, though, where we have come a very long way? I don't know about you two, but if you'd said to me in 2019 that the cast review was going to get just shut down and that, for example, there was going to be mass cases coming forward, potentially suing these clinics, um, I would have said we're at least five, but probably mm -hmm. 10 off of that. Yet here we are two years later and it's happening. And I don't know, like, I really, really hope that it doesn't go too far because I don't want gender clinics shut down completely. But at the same time, this is encouraging. Yeah, it does seem to be accelerating, like, just like exponentially, essentially. Because, um, yeah, like you, it was two years ago, I said that we're going to see the end of this within five to 10 years. And now I feel like we're going to see the end of this within one to two years. Um, oh, yeah, just definitely. like with each. Yeah, with each. Yeah, yeah. Event, we hurtle closer to the uh to the, the the house of cards crumbling mm -hmm. well, well yeah the but then what's that uh, the other big one is that we are starting to see more and more stories come out where with documented evidence we're seeing that they're performing gender affirming surgeries on minors yeah. You know, yeah two years ago i knew that was happening because i was speaking to detransitioners who'd had their breasts removed when they were 15 but i didn't have any evidence so i was often called a liar now right. they're coming forward with their own stories and posting their own documentations to prove this. In fact, who was it? It wasn't WPATH, was it? So someone has just come out and basically said, we have performed surgeries on 14 and 15 year old girls, their own words, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think the more that that happens, was it the Boston Children's Hospital? I can't I remember. I think it was. But whoever that it was. right. That is absolutely, that's anathema to the public. They are not going to support young vulnerable teenage girls undergoing double mastectomies because they're feeling a bit down on themselves that's not going to fucking fly so mm -hmm. as i've been saying this whole time the trans activists will be the end of the trans movement it won't yeah. be us it won't be the TERFs. it won't be the gender criticals it will be the trans activists yeah 100 percent. well should we wrap up for today Th thanks so much Sinead. it's been uh it's been great to catch up with you and have a proper conversation. I know. I'm sorry that I had to relocate halfway through there because I'm looking at my little screen now and my angle is shit. I realize I've got that right light behind me, but if I stayed downstairs, we would have been able to It's all right. <laughs> I, think, I think most of our listens are actually via the podcast anyway. Yeah. Not, not too many see the, see the, full, the, the full visual, um, but yeah. <laughs> but it's, 
it's fine. You, if you guys are ever wanting to do a podcast about a particular topic, then I'll do my, my homework and happily join you and stuff like that. So always happy to talk to you whenever you want to. Wonderful. Awesome. You're great to have. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, Sinead. Thanks. Have, have a, a great day, evening. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.